Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the well, good evening, everyone, and we are back. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, and with me all the way from Wales is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good afternoon. I was going to wish you a belated happy 4th of July, but since your president has just declared war on, on Britain, I'm not quite so sure it's uh, appropriate. Why? I don't know. He's been tweeting... Uh, Oh, he tweets lots of stuff. It doesn't make any difference. Well, apparently he's banned the British ambassador now. So. Good, good, good. So there we are. No time to get rid of some of this riffraff that's been hanging around. Anyway, uh, I understand that you made some changes to the West Files. So for people who have been looking for them, they uh, can't find it sometimes. Um, well, it's still there. It's just that... Um... It was decided after 18 months or nearly 18 months of running the show that we were actually going through the guests um, at a frightening, frightening rate. Uh, a weekly show, as you well know, requires a lot of guests. Um, mm-hmm. And as the West Files tends to focus primarily on um, regional issues and regional stories, um, we we were we were going to exhaust the guest pool, plus the station wanted to bring in some new presenters with other sort of show ideas, and uh, so it was decided uh, by all concerned and uh, with some relief on my part <laughs> uh, that we make the show monthly. So it will now be on on the final Monday of each month at the same time and on the same place on the dial. Okay, so what what day is it on so people can listen? Uh, it will always be on the final Monday of each month between UK times from uh, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Okay. So that's uh, what, what, what's back? That's uh, seven to, no, hang on, what, nine minus five, 4 p.m. until 6 p.m. Eastern. There you go. So, anyways, I understand we're not playing on Pararex, so if uh, Roy could take care of that, that would be great. Anyways, uh, I came across an article, and I thought we'd take a look at it, because this is Ghost Chronicles. According to this, a surprising number of people believe in ghosts. In a 2017 survey by Chapman University, it found that 52% of Americans believe Correct. places people Americans believe places can be haunted by spirits, an increase of 11% from 2015. An earlier UK survey found that 52% of the participants believe in the supernatural. So I guess there's, you know, quite a few people that, that do believe in them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a survey that I, I'm aware of, and uh, the figures of which I included in two recent talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the numbers for the USA and the UK are very, very similar in respect to. It's around about uh, a little over 50% believe 
in the possibility of ghosts mm-hmm. and around 20 percent a fifth of the population of both countries uh claim to have encountered uh, a ghost and those figures those figures actually haven't changed dramatically um over i the know years. that's the interesting thing isn't it <laughs> You know, the, um, if we look back at the at some of the, perhaps the original census of hallucinations that was conducted in the late 19th century by the SPR, uh, the figures have held up fairly, you know, and there have been many, many other surveys down the years since, newspaper ones and media ones and, and academic ones. And the numbers seem to be relatively stable. It's, it's a sort of 50-50 split um, on belief and uh, around about, a fifth of the population uh, claim to have had some experience that they would label as ghostly or paranormal. That discounts the numbers for UFOs, uh, Bigfoots, and others because in those in surveys there the numbers are are, are, are very different. Um, and I don't have the most accurate set to hand, but I believe that the the numbers who believe in in alien life is uh, when I last. Uh, Checked. I think the numbers was 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 in the seventy percent, um, mm-hmm. but the numbers actually claiming an encounter with an alien are much much lower. I think they're down in the the ten to fifteen percent range. Okay. So, anyways, this article goes on to uh, discuss some of the scientific explanation of mm-hmm. ghosts. And I know you're quite familiar with a lot of these, so I thought we'd bring up the topic. And uh, it starts an off with topic. it starts off with the first one, which is electromagnetic fields. For decades, a uh, Canadian neuroscientist named Michael Persinger has been studying the effects of electromagnetic fields on people's perception of ghosts, hypnotizing that pulse, uh, hip, hell, oh, hi, hypo. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Hypothesizing. <laughs> Thank you very much. The pulse of uh, mag- magnetic fields, uh, imperceivable on the conscious level, have made people feel that there is a presence in the room with, uh, you know, it can cause blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. And it also uh, goes on to talk about the uh, God helmet, which we've discussed on the show before. And uh, it, it discussed that a weak magnetic fields on someone's head for 15 to 30 minutes can create the perception that there's someone invisible in their presence. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Well, I mean, this, this is probably the root of all use of EMF meters in uh, ghost hunting. Um, you know, if you were to point a finger and say that's when it started... Uh, it started with the work of Persinger and this idea, uh, this hypothesis, um, which he tested uh, up at um, the Laurentian University in Sudbury, Canada, um, that if you apply a changing uh, ver- uh, magnetic, weak electromagnetic field to the temporal lobe region of the brain, that part being just behind your lug holes, um, sort of immediately below and behind your ears of the temporal lobes, that it would induce in some people strange feelings, a feeling of a sense of presence, somebody else around them, a feeling of awe, and other unusual experiences, which were very similar to those kinds of experiences that people report in haunted houses. 
and so he he extrapolated that a little further. He obviously, um, people can look up the God Helmet experiments that were that were done by uh, Professor Persinger. Um, right, and but, the, uh, the yeah, the article goes on to say that some sequential uh, research has pushed back against the theory, arguing yes, that has. people were responding to suggestion that they would feel a ghostly presence rather than to the electromagnetic field. However, uh, this was person- work that was done at uh, at Uppsala University in Sweden, uh, who right. replicated Persinger's study using an original God helmet. Um, that that he supplied, and they they came out with this idea that, um, and a, a very you know that the participants knew that they were being tested, and they they you know, so suggestion um, and expectation was was a very likely more likely component to people reporting experiences. Now this has been, um, uh, as I said earlier, this is the root cause. This was the very first time that there was a link suggested between electromagnetism and ghosts. And of course, ghost hunters being um, an inventive bunch, I suppose. That they are. That they are. Kind of reverse engineered it and turned it into the, well, ghosts must emit electromagnetic fields and that ghosts generate or manipulate electromagnetic fields. And this led directly to um, organi- uh, people starting to use EMF meters. Cell sensors were the first, mm-hmm. uh, along with the Dr. Gauss. Now, these devices were, of course, straight off the shelf, uh, designed to detect cell phone emissions and microwave oven door leakages. Exactly. But they were pressed into service. You know, somebody wrote a new instruction sheet saying if it was above three milligauss and the wiring isn't to blame, then it must be a ghost. Um, and of course, as soon and as the ghost meter, which was <laughs> came out by the same company, by the way, shortly that, after. Well, the, the ghost meter pro is just a derivative of. Uh, well, not even the pro, but I'm talking. Well, the, the ghost the meter. Next, the ghost meter was the one that incarnated itself after the cell sensor. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the strange. interesting thing about it, though, Steve, Rematch. is they actually stripped it down and uh, they put it in a fancy clear case, but uh, it's actually a lesser uh, of a meter than the original cell sensor. Well, they were even sneakier than that because um, the, the, the ghost meter, which is, it, it, it's a standard, off, it's still a standard off-the-shelf cater, um, cell sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they took away the detachable probe and threw that in the bin. Uh, there is a clear cased version of the cell sensor, so presumably they, they just had to manufacture it to use that model. But they included a new little uh, chip. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, oh, a chip. A, a, there's a new chip inside it. Uh, this applies primarily, and I think only, to the Pro model. Um, and it perplexed you and I for the longest time, didn't it? Um, because it's got these additional features over oh, and above. God, yes. Uh, one of which I think was the most fascinating for us in that it detects ancient ghosts. The interesting thing about that is they don't really give you a, a well, definition of what an ancient no, ghost is. No, they don't. But it makes uh, it even more difficult. <laughs> but they do give you a very good clue as to what they've done because they say it will detect ancient ghosts, what is it, every three to five minutes? Oh, yeah. Um, and if you sit there, as I've done, uh, with a what with a, a, a timer running, uh, lo and behold, every 
three three and three quarter minutes that must vary from model to model depending on how the right. chip's been set up but on the one i've got the one that you gave me every three and th- three minutes 45 seconds it bursts into life <laughs> um and the needle does three jumps up to full scale two followed by two to half scale and then sort of bounces around a bit and then settles down and then does it again three minutes and 45 seconds later clearly but it only does it when it's in ancient ghost mode the interesting thing too about it is they've made it for a communication device as well yes, they have. you can use it as an electronic dowser now that you can ask a yes and no questions uh blink once or, or make sound once for yes and twice for no or vice versa i forget exactly what it is offhand but uh well, yeah my favorite yeah, well, my favorite, my favorite. Once I discovered the three minute forty five second thing, uh, it's it's a great demonstration to use on public investigations because you switch it on, you 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 uh, note the time, and then you at three minutes thirty seconds you ask a question, and of course you get a response a few seconds after you finish speaking, and then you bumble around for another three and a half minutes and you ask some more questions, um, and it responds and you can have a great time with this thing seemingly interacting with you uh, but of course you've learnt the trick of the timer um, and of course, in the other mode the timer uh, which is you, uh, there's two modes isn't there? there's one H in the recent gold the timer again, works I can't remember the exact timing of the, the recent ghost one but I think that also is set on the timer so what's happening is every so many minutes and seconds depending on, you know, it must vary from model to model. So you have to check your own. The thing will spring magically to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and seemingly detect something, which is, it's a great party trick. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people swear by it, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah we've met them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I I remember uh, I did a, uh, a uh, spectral evidence in... in uh, Salem, I've been doing that for, oh God, 13 years I did it. And I brought the old Ghost Meter Pro when it first came out and I read the instructions and I said, every word thing I said was according to the manufacturer. And people got upset because it sounded like I was mocking it, which I was. <laughs> well, you know, again, I mean, there is something that I've used on public investigation and indeed in several conferences where. Um, to illustrate a point, I've merely read the instruction sheet out aloud. That's all I did. And that's all you need to do because that, that instruction sheet with its bad translations and uh, impenetrable instructions, I think sums up that piece of particular piece of equipment very, very well. But, I mean, down the years, I mean, we've had other magical devices. I mean, it was right, but I don't want to go in too much into the We had the Ghost Star. Yeah, well, we're sticking, uh, we're sticking with our schedule here so we're moving on to the next subject uh by the way there also has been uh, uh, some research that uh reputed uh, haunted environments often feature unusual magnetic fields so there is some type of correlation according to some studies between Mm. electromagnetic fields and haunted locations well there will be if you're using the ghost meter (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying Anyways, we're going to move something on to the next explanation of ghosts. 
which is a topic that's near and dear to you, and that, of course, is infrasound. Infrasound is levels so low they can't be heard, uh, though animals like elephants can. Low-frequency vibrations can cause distinct psychological discomfort. Scientists studying the effects of wind turbines, traffic noise near residents have found low-frequency noise can cause disorientation, the feeling of panic, changing heart rate, blood pressure, and other effects that could be easily associated with being visited by a ghost. For instance, in 1998, paper on natural causes of haunting engineer Vic Tandy, oh, I wonder if he was uh, Tandy, described the follow, uh, working on medical uh, equi- wait a minute, described working for a medical uh, I knew that name was familiar medical uh, equipment manufacturer whose labs included a reportably haunted room when Tandy worked in this particular lab he felt depressed and uncomfortable often hearing and seeing odd things including an apparition that definitely looked like a ghost. Eventually discovered that the room uh, was home to a 19 hertz uh, standing uh, wave Wave. coming from the fans, which was sending out inaudible vibrations that caused the disorientation effects. Further studies also links uh, infrasound to bizarre sensation like getting chills down the spine that can in the feeling of uneasiness. So did that sum up what you're I can't sum up with all the work you've done on it because you've done extensive work on it. Well I basically picked up because unfortunately uh, Vic Tandy, the original inspired well he wasn't the original person to suggest uh, infrasound as a call as a potential cause. No. Uh, but he did. No, actually, it was Persing, Michael Persinger again. Again? Um, again. Yeah, he gets around. Uh, he does. Uh, in an obscure work he did, he published in the late 1970s, he suggested uh, infrasound might be um, a cause of some people feeling, uh, and animals, um, feeling fear and trepidation ahead of earthquakes. Um, which would make sense. Which kind of makes sense. Um he didn't do any further work on it or pursue it. It was just um, a, a suggestion he wrote down. But uh, Tandy did a lot of work on it, and, but unfortunately he died. Um, the, I picked up the baton as my, as my PhD subject. Uh, and a great deal of what Vic did was uh, highly credible. Um, but there was some, some mythology grew up uh, as a result of the the papers he published uh, in 1998. There always mythology grows up around certain well, things. People take was, what they want. Well, yeah, unfortunately, the mythology doesn't come from uh, the paranormal community. Uh, really? The, the growth of the myth of infrasound comes from parapsychology because um, when the paper was published, it did seem to be very well put together. It was very well and, and very plausible hypothesis and had been um, tested um, by Vic at a number of locations where he said he'd found this 19, 18.7 hertz standing wave frequency. Um, now, parapsychologists leapt on that particular explanation uh, because they could poo-poo everything and blame it all on infrasound. However, there were a number of, because Vic didn't complete his research um, due to his early demise, uh, 
he I think he was on the the uh, cusp of discovering that actually infrasound, whilst it is a causal factor in some cases, it is not the universal panacea that parapsychologists would have you uh, believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, moreover, there is no link uh, to anything at 18.7 or 19 hertz or any other particular single frequency. Uh, that that number came out from a NASA paper which Vic cited uh, that said that at a particular frequency, uh, 18.71 hertz, I think it was, um, that the human eyeball would oscillate and that this vibration of the eyeball could lead to vision smearing and peripheral visual anomalies. Now, Vic noted that a lot of uh, apparition sightings are corner of the eye or edge of the vision field and said, suggested that this this is the likely cause this is the it even led to uh, a movie being um, going into production called 19 hertz the frequency of fear uh, unfortunately re- further research and experimentation um, with large numbers of people demonstrated there is no vision vision smearing at um, at those single frequencies but infrasound itself does enhance uh, the number of people um, who report feeling unusual sensations so the 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 ones that you outline these feelings of um, nausea being disconnected disorientated uh, something nearby a sense of unease uh, are all linked to infrasound exposure but interestingly and the numbers are actually quite uh, good over several experiments, um, that it only affects around about one-third of the population. Um, the remaining two-thirds seem to be oblivious to it. Uh, the other myth of infrasound is that you can't hear it. Uh, in actual fact, uh, whilst it's perfectly true, you're, you, you wouldn't normally hear infrasound at normal volumes below 20 hertz. If you turn the volume up sufficiently, your ears will will hear it and moreover your body is is aware of it uh, constantly but you're just not hearing it through the conventional mechanisms uh, at normal volumes but to give you an example uh, more or less if you're in the center of downtown boston uh, or where you are near near a busy roadway um, the infrasound levels there would be, if you could put it into the audible frequency range, uh, so raise it up in frequency to the ranges that your ears would respond, it would be like sitting next to a very large truck um, and you would be required to wear ear defenders, hearing protection. Hmm. So that's how, how loud it is. Okay. The, uh, the interesting thing about that, Alico, I thought, was that he... He actually says that he saw an apparition that definitely looked like a ghost. And if it wasn't the infrasound, then, I mean, how do you, he, interesting, he can, can he say that was the cause of what he saw or not? Um, no, because uh, what, what happened next was he, after writing the first paper, um, he then went off to... Um, uh, a tourist information office in Coventry, England, um, where where lots of people had reported paranormal in, in, uh, 
experiences. And he Are you outside, him. by the way? No. I'll have a, I'll have a USB fan on in the office because it's so... Oh. We're getting Apple uh, uh, infrasound, uh, infrasound on it. Yeah, I'll turn the fan off. Um, he then went to a tourist information office in Coventry, England, where he measured the sound. And he claimed to have got this same 19, approximately 19 hertz standing wave. And, it, you know, it was, it was uh, cause and effect, case proved, move on. In a, I, I also went to that exact same location um, and we measured the standing waves there and uh, we saw no evidence for that 19 hertz. But what we did see is an awful lot of infrasound. And I think Vic, reading some of Vic's unpublished research, it seems clear to me that Vic was also on the point of discovering that there was no single frequency involvement um in in his or anybody else's experience but that infrasound as a broad band of sounds between 0.1 and 20 well higher up actually 50 hertz um, does cause these unusual effects in some people now whatever whatever vic saw or claimed to have seen in the laboratory um, by way of an apparition isn't clear um, because and we can't ask him unfortunately and he didn't give us a great deal of information regarding that that experience which he claimed and others also because the the the, the workshop in which um the original hypothesis was created um doesn't exist and has changed you know was changed anyway uh, but basically what happened was it wasn't down to the fact that it, it had this reputation of being an eerie spooky place now that in itself can cause people to become jumpier what vic uh, noticed is vic was a keen fencer um and brought into into the workshop one of his fencing rapiers these very thin flexible blades in order to work on the blade and he mounted it in a vice a bench vice and he noticed that um the the blade was vibrating, vibrating it was oscillating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and that made him because he was an engineer he realized that something that he wasn't aware of was causing this vibration and he, initially he experimented by moving the blade um, to different positions on the vice and measuring the length of the vibrating element of the blade which led him to discover that this was low frequency vibration in the infrasound region um, he didn't he never measured the frequency directly in that workshop the first measurements were he he, he mathematically uh, deduced this frequency of close to 19 hertz then when he went to the Taurus Information Office, he had then obtained some sound measuring Brule and Kajar professional sound measuring equipment, uh, which he deployed uh, at Coventry. And uh, he said that he'd found this frequency. Now, when I went there, I realized that there was some methodology. Well, according to the article, he did measure it. Uh, he said that the room discovered the room. Uh, well, he measured, he measured the room. Yes. Um, and from that, he cal- he mathematically calculated the frequency of the standing waves, because you can you can easily well once you have the dimensions of a space, mm-hmm. then it's it's uh, and because the speed of sound in air is fixed with variations due to temperature, you can actually calculate the position of standing waves. It's something that I've done on 
hundreds of occasions. And you can be very, very accurate uh, because, you know, you are dealing with fixed things like the speed of sound um, and fixed dimensions. A building has, you know, a, 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 an internal dimension. You can measure height, length and, and, and width. Welcome to Talkinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal what? event? What the hell? something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. What the hell is going on? At a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at any ghost project at Comcast. We'll pick it up in a minute. Or call 978-455-6678. The creepy and the kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parax family. And we're back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International, following, following the unintendedly uh, yeah, interruption by the ad break. Yeah, lack um, of cues. <laughs> I think our producer died on us. Bored him to death, probably. Um, probably. Yes, yeah, so what I'm saying, so yeah, Vic, Vic actually did measure it, but measured it by um, measuring the physical space and then calculating the okay. uh, standing waves. So we're going to move on to the next yeah. explanation of ghosts, which is uh, Shane Rogers, an engineer professor at Clarkson University, had spent the past few months touring reported haunted locations looking for not so much paranormal activity, but mold growth. Primarily, research, uh, primarily research indicates that some molds can cause symptoms that sound pretty ghostly, like irrational fear, there you go, and dementia. Uh, I've watched a lot of ghost show, he tells uh, Mental Floss, uh, and began to wonder if there was some kind of link there. Uh, so this is kind of what he said. It's hard to say whether that is a contributive factor or not, but antecedently, these uh, seeing these molds in the locations uh, can explain some of the causes of it. So this is what Mr. Rogers says. Have you heard of this one? I, I, I know this one well. Also, uh, this one is one that I think is it's more of an urban myth. There is no scientific reality to this. Um, uh, the, the link to molds, spores and fungi, um, notwithstanding the obvious Ghostbuster one there, um, relates only to ergot. Ergot, which is a mold that grows on grain, does right. cause hallucinogenic and um, spasmodic behaviour. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and ultimately potentially death, death also. Yeah. Um, there is no link uh, to black mold or the sort of molds that one finds in decaying properties uh, related to uh, experiences of the paranormal. Yeah, you might get a lung full of it, but it's hardly likely to kill you. Um, there have been there have been instances where people um, have who were already medically uh, at risk and medically vulnerable can be compromised by exposure to mouldy conditions. They can develop secondary lung infections and lung conditions as a result of mould exposure. Um, but uh, this idea that you should go ghost hunting in old buildings wearing scuba gear, um, breathing apparatus and, um, you know, spacesuits is, is, a, is a complete nonsense. Um, y- there is nothing in this. It's been looked at by several researchers. Um, you know, CJ Roma here in the UK did, did an excellent uh, response to this um, idea that mould is a causal factor um, and demonstrated fairly equivocably that there's no link at all. Oh, wow. That's, uh, yeah. Okay, so that... Well, Roy's back anyway. Yeah, I saw that. Back from the dead. Barely, I guessed. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so... I didn't think Texans had bad stomachs. I thought it was all the hot sauce here Mm -hmm. in Tex-Mex food. I thought it killed everything. Anyways. Even ergot. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so anyways, uh, in 1921, a doctor named W.H. Wilmer published an odd story about a haunted house in the American Journal of Orthomenology. Wow. A family who lived in a haunted residence called the H family in medical literature began experience weird phenomena when they moved into the old house, hearing furniture move around, strange voices in the night, and feeling the presence of invisible specters. They reported... uh, being held down by ghosts in bed, feeling weak and more. As it turned out, a faulty furnace was filling the house with carbon monoxide, causing a roar in visual hallucinations. The furnace was fixed, and the H family went back to their lives without the ghost. Huzzah! Well, carbon monoxide will kill you. Yes, there's but no doubt about that. Is it, can it cause these other symptoms? Well, funnily enough, uh, that's been examined and that's been postulated by, by a lot of investigators who suggest that one of the things worth measuring and adding to your ghost kit is a CO detector, uh, a carbon monoxide detector, uh, because carbon monoxide will kill you. Yeah. Uh, but carbon Maybe that's monoxide, where you need the scuba gear. But interestingly, if you look at carbon monoxide death and carbon monoxide poisoning, um, basically, what happens is you fall asleep, um, and sure. you just you don't wake up again. Um, there don't is we... no there are, there aren't any carbon monoxide events precursors where maybe your well people who like... people who've been poisoned by carbon monoxide and I've nursed a few in, in accidents in emergency or ER as you call it over that side. Um, they don't report hallucinations. They don't report weird experiences. Uh, the first thing they're aware of is being shaken awake by uh, a concerned neighbour or an ambulance man or a police officer, having discovered them unconscious with blue lips and fast, uh, flushed 
red skin and fast asleep on the floor. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, you you are lacking all of the yeah carbon monoxide. It will kill you, but there, it won't do. You just fall asleep. Exactly. So you know, the partial carbon monoxide poisoning um, uh, makes you feel drowsy, lethargic, and can make you feel nauseous. Um, you know, so if your boiler is on the blink, you you might feel some some symptoms of nausea, uh, vomiting, weakness, tiredness, headaches. But then, you know, you're missing all of the paranormal stuff. Right. So, anyways, we are back on uh, Pararex now, and we're just to give them an update since they missed the first half of the show is that we were looking at some of the causes of ghosts, uh, according to some scientific studies. And the first one was electromagnetic fields. The second one we discussed was infrasound. The third one we discussed was mold. And the one we just finished up on, of course, was carbon monoxide. And, and I've got to add that, you know, it, whilst it might be that it seems like we're poo-pooing some of these. No, no, this is, um, this is we're it, just giving expert possible explanations. Yeah, of the, one, yeah. the one I would definitely support is infrasound. Uh, because it's, it you can, well, you it wrote can, a freaking paper on it. Yeah, and I wrote the paper because it can be, it can be proved by repeatable experimentation that if you add infrasound to a situation where somebody is already edgy or they're in a haunted building or on its own it won't do anything but if you add it into the mix alongside other factors um, then it will enhance it it's an experience enhancer for some people and uh, right we uh, we've also been uh uh, comment from the Parex chat room that says that uh, chemical solvents can also uh, make people hallucinate as well. Oh uh, yeah, generations of teenage teenagers and drug addicts who've been sniffing lighter fuel and yeah. petrol. And, well, and we're not even going into the drugs and the drug end of it. Of no. course, that's a no. whole little thing. Or alcohol. Well, there have been there have been parapsychology experiments done where oh, people I don't have, doubt it. I don't doubt have it. taken have taken mescaline and other hallucinogenic drugs or or got drunk on a ghost investigation to yep. see if it would have any effect. You know, it's it's. I know a lot of teams that do that. Well, unintentionally, I think. Well, these were intentionally under. In fact, there is a researcher in the UK who who um, has done a great deal of work on hallucinogenics. Um, so the the next uh, the next uh, uh, explanation or study describing the possible. Uh, uh, oh, this is from your friend. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, Twenty fourteen study Goldsmiths, uh, the University of London <laughs> psychologist. <laughs> Let me had, guess, Professor Chris French and Project Horns. Yes, exactly. Uh, he yeah. had uh, participants watch a video of a psychic uh, supposedly bending a mental key with his mind. In one uh, condition, the study uh, 
subjects who watched the video with the participant who was actually working with the researchers and professed to see the key bending. Those subjects who were more likely to report that the key bent than the subjects that were paired with someone who asserted that the key did not bend or say nothing. One person's accounts can be influenced by another's memory. A study, uh, a co study co-author Chris Spence uh, says. So are you aware of this one? I am aware of that one, but it's got nothing to do with ghosts um, other than um, oh, yeah. in, in connection. It, it does in a way. Yes. Well, it does in a way in that if one person we put, if you have a group of people and one person says, right. hey, look at that over there, then there will be, we call it the domino effect sometimes, and it's very useful on a public ghost hunt. Um, if you can trip one, if you can trigger one person, um, then the rest will start to fall like dominoes, um, which makes it easier to ensure that they all have a really good spooky night out. Yeah, I, I remember a, a case. <laughs> this was, I, I believe, in the Midwest, and it was supposedly about this uh, uh, ghost that was in a cemetery of a woman, I believe, that was haunted. And I mean, the details might be a little sketchy as far as the actual haunting bit. But the mayor of the town and a whole a whole a gackle of uh, people from town came there and they were there with the camera crew and they were in the cemetery and somebody spoke up and said, oh look, you can see the ghost by the tombstone. And then sure enough, everybody mm -hmm. else started mm -hmm. doing it and uh, they all reported seeing the ghost there, mm -hmm. but the camera and, and the camera crew that was there saw nothing. Well, this is this is. I mean, this is something that's used on on many, if not most, public ghost hunts. Um, and what you do is you you facilitate uh, and encourage, without obviously. Well, some people might use more more uh, fraudulent techniques, but yeah. uh, it, you 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 f you overload expectation, and somebody. Uh, and for example, uh, one of the ones, one of the classic ones is, is by saying, well, as we go into this room, I'd ask all the ladies be careful, especially the younger ones, because this ghost um, loves to stroke, stroke uh, ladies hair and pull a lady's hair. And gentlemen, you might find that he's, he's a bit more aggressive, doesn't like the men and he might push you or pinch you or touch you. Um, and then what you do is you, you get people to stand around and you you constantly reinforce that idea by saying, if anybody feels themselves touched or pushed or your hair stroke, you know, make sure that you, you let us know so that we can document it. Make sure that, you know, how's everybody right. feeling? Is it? And what you're doing is you are continually front loading the expectation and eventually sometimes it takes you know a few minutes sometimes it's nearly instantaneous somebody will go oh i felt a, a, I, I felt something touch my hair mm. now what you don't do at that point um if you're on a public ghost hunt uh is is say oh well that's just you know a cobweb what you say is thank you spirit uh, can you do it again and then you'll find that two people and you get this sort of domino effect going around the room Mm -hmm. um, and and when you you know when you've got people who are fair-paying members of the public who've gone with a group of friends for a spooky night out for you know to support their favourite charity or just to have a fun night out, then they're the sort of uh, innocent little tricks that ensure that they get value for money. Right. Uh, now, 
you know, you, some groups, I, I use those same tricks to ensure value for money, uh, but I also explain myself at the end. Um, right. Uh, but there are groups that are blatantly using the exact same technique, but offering no explanation as to what they're doing. Exactly. So this is uh, the last one. and Well, actually, there, there's another one I want to discuss, too. I will call it seven. And uh, there is the motivational side of, to belief in ghosts. This is our boy Chris French again. We all want to believe in life after death. The idea of mortality is one that we are not generally comfortable with. Confirmation bias holds powerful uh, sway over our perceptions. We find it much easier to believe evidence for something uh, if we believe, want to believe in that, he says. So that's basically uh, we want to believe, so therefore we see it. I absolutely agree 100% with, with Chris. Um, that one I do. Yes, I do. You know, because we are, we've, be, we've learned to become afraid of death. Death wasn't something that we were, uh, as, a, as a species, uh, we were, at different times in, in sort of human history, we've become um, more and less afraid of death. And in fact, it's a cultural thing too. Uh, you look at the Japanese in World War Two. And, and some of these Islamic terrorists, um, mm-hmm. they embrace death. And so the, the fear of death for them doesn't exist. They, they want to die. They want to martyr themselves. Yeah, for like the click on. Yeah, for the emperor or the cause. But, uh, you know, if we go back uh, a couple of hundred years, the human mortality rate was far higher. And we were closer to death. We would often, you know, families would often lose one or two children. The life expectancy was a lot shorter. Therefore, people um, were more around death. And the family member right. was usually, you know, was usually laid out at home um, as part of sort of. Uh, but now people go away to hospital and die. Um, uh, and. Yeah, and death has been removed. You know, we are now removed from the process of death and dying, so it's become more mysterious. And so, people have in the last fifty years uh, in the UK, because uh, of the you know the hospitals and nursing homes, people have death isn't as understood as part of the natural process of living. And so, we've seen this rise in um, fear of death or fear of dying and this idea that uh, a reinforcement of the idea which goes right the way back through every culture to the earliest days the biblical times and and, uh, even earlier that we reincarnate that we survive death the ancient egyptians you know mummified um the, the 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 deceased so that they could come back with their body um We've put stuff in the grave which will be helpful to the deceased, to the departed person. We still do that today in many, many, you know, uh, situations. Somebody will put a keepsake or uh, something in the grave um, yeah. w- with the deceased. Well, my um, cat died. I took, made, made him a little coffin and I put all his toys in it and I sent them off to bury him yeah. in the ground with the for Valhalla. So there yeah. you go. Um, you know, I. It wasn't very many years ago that when, I mean, I remember in my uh, great-grandparents, you, you would still bury the person. You would lay them in the coffin with a coin, um, either over their eye or in the hand, to pay the ferryman. Now, That's that true. goes all the way back the to... pennies, you know, right? Pennies yeah, the pe- on the ice, yeah. 
That's right. I mean, that goes all the way back to the Romans' idea of paying the ferryman to cross the River Styx into Elysium. Exactly. So this idea that, and interestingly, um, all human civilization and all human cultures through all recorded periods of human uh, history have this uh, central idea that we survive death in some form. Uh, the Hindus say we, and the Buddhists say that we reincarnate and come back as anything. We could come back as a stick insect or a stick or a yeah. rock or a person. Um, we're, promised, we're promised an eternal afterlife in our father's house in um, Christianity. And if you blow yourself to smithereens uh, as a Muslim, you, you're promised... Um, I, I, I've forgotten how many virgins uh, that you get for doing that. 99, I believe, right? Um, so, but in each culture uh, and in each civilization and in, through all history, there is an idea that um, we survive death. Perhaps it's an arrogant idea. Um, oh. But interestingly, there are some, there are some cases, such as uh, the R101 uh, case, uh, which people can Google, um, where there does seem to be some information that shouldn't be known to the living and is only known to the deceased that is being imparted through um, a third person, a medium, if you want, mm -hmm. right. uh, that does challenge this idea that uh, death is final. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of reports of people that were not believers that uh, had... I guess near-death experiences. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I deliberately didn't go into the near-death experiences because. Mm -hmm. um, okay, fair enough. They so I wanted to science some challenges those. I know we're running out of time too, so I just want to bring this one up before I do. And this is one that was not on that list, but I believe uh, does explain, and that causes sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that, Mr. Mm -hmm. Parsons? I am. Sleep paralysis is is probably what the, the one of the key um, things that people experience. It it can happen to anybody at any time, or it can happen to some people a lot of the time, and is linked to old hag syndrome or this idea of yep. of um, you 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 suddenly wake up in the middle of the night, but you're paralysed. You you, you can, can't you know, move. Can't move. You can't. You feel weight shout on your chest out. Sometimes you feel no. choking. Uh, you yeah. see. You and, feel a presence or see a presence. Yeah. yeah, and what it is essentially is your brain making sure that you don't kick your, you know, yourself or anybody else nearby to death while you're asleep in a dream. Because, as you as you know, and as everybody listening will know, some dreams can be very action filled. And, you know, you're leaping off tall buildings and flying through the air and doing all manner of crazy sort of Superman stunts while you're asleep. Mm -hmm. Now, if your brain allowed your body to enact your dreams, uh, you wouldn't get very much sleep and nor would anybody else. Yeah. So what your brain does is it deliberately switches your body. It, it paralyzes your body um, to prevent your body from leaping all over the place. Um, and in some people, when they wake, when the brain wakes up, the the paralysis takes a few seconds sometimes, and it is only seconds to to release control back to the brain, and so you are effectively paralysed. Right there, there is more than paralysation though, because you also you know uh, 
you have that effect of being held down. You have well, that, that comes from, sometimes. That, yeah, also, that, that, that comes from the brain then suddenly realizing that you can't, you know, the, the body isn't responding. So some, there must be something stopping the body from responding. Mm-hmm. So then you, the, the brain itself goes into this loop uh, where it, you know, the, the chemical transmitter hasn't reached the bits of, you know, the, of the body. But the neural signals from the body saying, yeah, we're awake now and we can wave our arms and aren't being sent. So the brain then says, I'm feeling that they're being held down and, you know, there's a great weight and it can't breathe. And so you panic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the why I'm trying to make sense of a situation. I know why I wanted to break, bring this up is because I actually had my first experience of uh, sleep paralysis last night. Ah. And, uh, it, it was intriguing because it's I went cool, through, isn't it? I went through all those things that people have, and uh-huh. and at the time it seems uh, frightening. I guess is the word. You know, when you, when you try to speak, you can't speak. You try to move, you can't move. You know, you you see or think someone's there. There's a, there's a whole lot of things. Uh, but immediately when I came out of it, I realized what had happened, and I. I I totally, uh, I don't know what's the word, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm glad I experienced it because now it, it's so easy to psychoanalyze people without really going through what they go through. So at least I had this brief opportunity to uh, experience this. Uh, have, I, has it I, ever happened to you? I, yeah, uh, I had oh, one yeah. about a month ago, and about one or th- about three or four a year it happens to me. But Oh, wow, that's quite a bit. It's the first time in my life. But I think it's real. I mean, for me, I, I it's cool. It's it, it is cool AF um, because I'm immediately or seem to now be immediately. The first time, the first couple of times it happened, yeah, it caught me completely, and it, 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 it was scary. But now I actually kind of enjoy it because I'm rationalizing it in real time exactly. and trying to exactly. and trying to understand it by experiencing and I get really cross with myself for coming out of it mm. because I want to try and prolong the experience <laughs> as long as possible to try and get the most understanding of the experience if that makes sense excuse me yep and you know it, it, I, I totally understand it now because I mean in my paralysis or whatever it is I I used all my strength to move and I couldn't move the same with to speak I could not speak and uh, you know I, I'm a, if you know me I'm a very forceful person uh, I don't believe you can't do anything so uh, it, it was quite the experience and, and like you said when it was all over you, it was like so interesting it was uh, it's it's it, unless you have it I guess it, it's it's a little bit no. easier to understand what you have. Yeah. I mean, if you have a second one, third one, they get, I mean, they start to become something that, you know, I mean, I can't predict. There is nothing I can do to make it happen. Right. I guess it's the first time in my life, so. But when it does happen, it's like, in real time, I'm thinking to myself, and that's probably what's, you know, it, it, it's probably spoiling it as well because I'm rationalizing it, which is probably risking coming out of it all the sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really because it, it it's the closest I can come to understanding these real paranormal experiences that people are, or these other these experiences that people are having, um, and understanding it. 
but right. wanting to understand it to the fullest extent by having it last longer. And as I say, get really cross when it just stops. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, the interesting thing about it is is uh, how my philosophy had changed when I first started doing this. I was so, like, I wanted to prove or disprove the existence of ghosts, but then it became more of I want to try to understand it by yeah. experiencing it, I guess is the, the word, and to share those experiences with other people to let them make up their own minds on, on what this is all about. So it, it, something like sleep paralysis which i had never experienced before is like you know wow that's really something cool that happens yeah, to me but it it's is. always i i don't know about you but i always analyze everything as it happened or shortly after it happens uh it, you know it's it's just so intriguing well as i say i i look forward to the next time it happens to me but i think <laughs> i think part of the problem might be that um now um <laughs> is that instead of rationalizing it afterwards I'm now starting to rationalise it. It's like kind of knowing you're dreaming, um, which spoils the dream. I don't know no, if you've I, had those sort of dreams where you no, realise. Yeah, the ones I hated, the ones you you wake up, you, but you're still dreaming, and you think you woke yeah. up. It's like, yeah, but, but you realise it. Like, but you oh actually realise that you're dreaming. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we have to go, so uh, we're running up at the end of the show. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, today's show was brought to you by Circles of Wisdom in Methuen, Massachusetts. Check them out. And the letters S, J, and Yeah, I know. I, and don't forget to visit. Uh, Steve will be visiting us this uh, fall. Go to the website, inegosproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, goesproject.com. Check out what's happening. Till next time, good night and God bless. Thank God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.